going to be in Luke chapter 2, which, uh, if you have a church Bible, is on page 805. Luke chapter 2. Have you ever met someone who doesn't believe that Jesus ever existed? Maybe a, uh, like a lone crazy uncle or a first year philosophy student. Um, there's good reason for that. Even some of the most secular historians admit Jesus was born. Now, have you ever met someone who doesn't believe that Jesus is the son of God? Or that he came to forgive sin. That's probably a lot of people that you know. Many more people fall into that category. What I'm saying here is that people are often very quick to separate the event of Jesus' birth from the reason for his birth. I believe he was born, but I think he was born for this other reason over here. I have a simple argument this morning. You can't do that. The Bible clearly explains both. In fact, it ties them together. In fact, it happens right in the story of Jesus' birth. This isn't some odd little thing argument that you put together by piecing together seven different books. It's right here in a story that even people who only come to church on Christmas and Easter have heard. But the thing is, I think when you read this story inside of the Christmas season, you start to drift into sentimentality. Critical thinking goes down. You're thinking about presents under the tree. But we're going to dig in to a story that you've heard so many times that you could probably quote it. And my hope is that this gives you a lot more than excitement for the birth of Jesus, that it gives you actually great confidence that he is the Savior. So let's begin this story in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for him, for them, in the inn. How many of you just thought about Christmas presents? Just a little bit there. (laughs) Now the first thing, track with me here, the first thing that Luke tells us here is that Jesus was born. Everybody got that? Jesus was born. And Luke does this by explaining when and where the birth happened. Look at verses 1 and 2. 
So there's this registration, and it's called for by Caesar Augustus. And registration, by the way, was like a census, and it involved tax. And there's a reference to a governor named Quirinius holding office. Why are these here? Why is only one verse talking about the birth of Jesus and everything else is government? These are here to give us an approximate date of birth. And though there's been some dispute over the exact year for several reasons, none of which are the point, what Luke is saying is that the time of this birth is not only accurate, but it actually has the authentication of a government paper trail. This was tied to a very well-known event. Mary and Joseph would have been registered, and they would have been taxed. And just a side note, by the way, if you're going to make up a story about somebody being born, you wouldn't do it this way. Because if there's one thing that the government keeps a firm grasp on, it's your money. Second, Luke tells us where Jesus was born. Let me read verses 4 and 5 again. There's a lot of detail here. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. What Luke is saying, or rather, sorry, Joseph and Mary's exact location of origin and destination are given. Luke even includes Joseph's ancestry, the house and line of David, as proof they went to the correct town, Bethlehem. So what Luke is saying here is that during this particular time, in this particular place, Jesus was born. It is presented in an orderly way as a matter of government authentication, not as a vague recollection of a single person. There's witnesses, there's paper trails. Luke has nothing to hide. Now, I think this is almost enough reason to believe But there's even better proof than government record. There's even a better argument at stake that Luke is making. And it relies on multiple personal witnesses. And even more so, it relies on a motive. Why the Savior was born. And that's where Luke goes next. Let's meet these witnesses, these shepherds, as Luke tells us why Jesus was born. Let me read verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord? And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Luke gives us two reasons why Jesus was born. To save us and to give us peace with God. Let's first focus on the saving us part. Verse 10. So the angel comes and announces a message. Good news of great joy for all the people. So this is a message that will impact everyone. There's a magnitude to this event. Now look at verse 11. In the city of David has been born a savior. And we know that's Bethlehem. The baby was born to bring salvation. And again, just so you can be certain of what I mean and what Luke means when he uses the word salvation, connect this, remember what we learned back in chapter 1 about Zechariah's prophecy. He gave us clarity. Salvation is about the forgiveness of sins. That's salvation. So this baby has been born to forgive sins. That's why he's been born. The angel briefly pauses for a little bit of clarity in verse 12. You'll find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and, and in a manger. In other words, go here, look at this baby, and that's how you'll know you found the Savior. And then Luke gives us a second reason why Jesus was born. To give us peace with God. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. We'll spend a little bit of time here because, to be honest, I probably could have done a slightly better job of setting this up last week. Because we're going to go back to that prophecy. The angel is joined by a multitude and they say this. Glory to God in the highest... And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This verse has a lot of Christian baggage around it. You can imagine it on your Christmas coffee mug and your artistic uh, church bulletin. Perhaps a Thomas Kincaid painting if you know what those are. Many people read this verse and they just feel very warm and happy. And it is good news. Don't get me wrong. But many read this verse and think that Luke is proclaiming peace on earth between men who have pleased God, who have made him happy. And I want you to imagine what that might look like. Perhaps like a hamlet with a nice... Uh, Nice cottage with smoke coming out and God's coming down to, to good people to give them peace amongst one another. But I think this verse is actually about peace between men and God. It's not about an earthly benefit. It's about something a lot bigger. And I think the reason is found in what we've been learning about salvation. So let me explain by going back again to Zechariah's prophecy about salvation and cover two verses I didn't really talk about last week. Chapter 1, verses 78 and 79. 
And in fact, I'll back up and I'll read 77 too. So this is Zechariah's prophecy about salvation. Here it is. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of, there it is, peace. So Zechariah introduces the concept of peace, but he has tied it directly to the work of salvation. So it's not some inherent thing that man possesses. Because we know salvation is something that God is bringing. So all I'm saying is God is forgiving people. He's giving them salvation. And then he's guiding them in the way of peace. In short, salvation comes first, then peace, and both are coming from God. This is really important to know. Now let's go back to Luke 2.14. So when we read this, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, we need to interpret this by giving the credit to God and not leaning on the credit of man. Because think about it. Is God pleased with mankind? No. You remember in Zechariah's prophecy last week, he described mankind as, as enemies of God. They can't please God. So how can they get peace? They can't. But what we're learning here is that salvation has come to fix that problem. That's the good news of great joy for all the people. This baby has not just been born to save or forgive sin, but this is also going to give mankind peace. And most of all, peace with God. God's peace from on high will rest among men. And one more thought here. It says, men with whom he is pleased. I think if you're familiar enough with this story, what you might gather from this is that this baby is going to be the one who pleases God. That's the argument. That's why the heavenly hosts are singing. This baby, this savior is here. And he has just been born right over the hill. And he is going to save people. And he is going to give them peace. Would you be excited to meet this baby? If you were a shepherd? The shepherds were very excited. And their meeting will help them and they'll help us know for certain that Jesus was born. And even more, it's going to connect for us and for them how he was born with why he was born. Let me read verses 15 through 21 now. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it has been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So, two reasons that we know Jesus the Savior was born. And this goes above and beyond Roman authentication. First, the shepherds confirm it. Look at verses 15 and 16. The angels leave and the shepherds say, let's go to Bethlehem. And they go quickly and they find the manger and correctly identify the Savior. So they already understand why Jesus was born. And now they're confirming this is the guy. His name is Jesus. He's the Savior. I might even speculate that one of them might recount the event of Mary and Joseph. You saw an angel? We did too. And he told you about who this baby would be? He told us the same thing. Do you see that Luke is drawing a direct connection between Jesus' birth and the reason for his birth? He's even got multiple witnesses. So many of us, when we read the story of the shepherds, I think we just kind of, oh yeah, it's because they're poor and Jesus has come for like the lowliest. That's true. This is about character witness. This is so much bigger than that. This is giving us real courage and real confirmation that this is what we've heard about. The second reason we know Jesus was born is that the response is great joy. The people, all these people who are witnessing and confirming it, they immediately respond in accordance with the good news of the angel. First, look at verse 17 and 20 and see the shepherd's response. Verse 17, they make this good news known. We know they go out. They're not just talking to Mary because in verse 20, they come back. So they go out and they're letting people know, guess what happened? We saw something. We heard something. We found this good news. Good news for all the people. And then in verse 20, they come back and they're praising God. They've been changed. They're doing exactly what the angel said. Good news of great joy. Second, look at verse 18 to see the response of the people that the shepherds are witnessing to. They ponder. And I think often when we read the word ponder, we just kind of use it as a a fancy word for think. We just interchange the two. But um, ponder implies a lot more depth, more careful consideration, really kind of working it out in your head. And so what I'm saying is here is that the shepherd's good news has really impacted the people. They don't blow it off. This isn't the the fanciful ramblings of crazy little sheep herders. They're actually thinking about this. This means something big. Finally, look at verses 19 and 21 to see Mary's response. In verse 19, she treasures these things also pondering, I might think a little more deeply. These shepherds, total strangers, 
have come out of nowhere and they've confirmed something she's been thinking about for a year. The Savior is really here. Right on my lap. And finally, in verse 21, she and Joseph continue in obedience and joy for God's plan by naming the baby Jesus, which the angel had commanded Mary to do. So all I'm saying here is that all witnesses have clearly connected the birth of Jesus with why he was born. And their conclusion is this, and it's your main point. God's plan of salvation has arrived in Jesus. It's arrived for the world. And the aim of this story is simple. That people would be confident in both the authenticity and the purpose of Jesus' birth. That you would not separate the two because both event and the reason are well documented and neither are separated from one another. So we shouldn't do that either. Jesus came and he came to save us and give us peace with God. Friends, no other world religion is backed with the evidence that Christianity has. And so no other religion can possibly hold up. Let me share a few examples of a few counterfeit religions that illustrate this. Last year, I spent many weeks meeting with some local Mormons. They knocked on my door, perhaps with the confidence of the shepherds, They told me how much they loved Jesus and the Bible and the Book of Mormon. But the more I learned, the more I got confused. I won't go into detail from the pulpit, but I'll simply say this. Jesus is not the central character of the Mormon faith. The central figure of Mormonism is a man named Joseph Smith. And the Book of Mormon contains some ideas that are radically, deeply opposed to everything I just said. But do you know how the Book of Mormon was written? That's what this comes down to. Joseph Smith translated it after being visited by angels while he was by himself in a cave. So, just so we're clear, on one hand, in Christianity, we have the birth and mission of Jesus as a government-verified event during a specific time in a specific place where a specific child is born to not only multiple first-hand witnesses, but confirmed by multiple second-hand witnesses who all connect the birth to the reason for the birth. And Mormonism has one guy in a cave. Do you see the difference? There's another counterfeit religion, and it's called Islam. 
a religion that came about 600 years after Jesus and hijacks many of the Bible's foundational teachings. But guess what? It has a central figure and it is also not Jesus. It's Muhammad. And many of his ideas radically deviate from the Bible. And guess where he got his epiphany? From an angel by himself in a cave. Friends, we believe by faith, but the evidence is overwhelming, isn't it? Jesus was born. He was born to save us. He was born to give us peace with God. And those two facts are inseparable. And you can be certain of that. Let me give you two applications. Application number one. Be confident that Jesus was born. That sounds strange. But every time you sin, you're effectively not believing that he was born. Speak to your own heart and your own mind, Christian. Say you look around, like I do, and the world grieves you, like it does me. You're constantly reminded of pain, suffering. Another year goes by, we're almost at Christmas again. Getting older. I can struggle here as a father, to be honest. I mean, I look at the, the innocence of my children and I often grieve because they don't know how messed up the world is yet. How ugly sin is. They haven't really suffered yet and they will. What has helped me to remain confident is to remember that many in Bethlehem on that night would have been tempted to feel the exact same way. Long travel, taxes, having a baby in a manger. But then, a knock at the door, and it's a shepherd. And he has brought the best news in the world. That is what needs to be pondered. So friends, if you're downtrodden or you're sick or you're even near death, your best medicine is to remember that Jesus was born because that changes everything. Application number two. Be confident to connect Jesus' birth and the reason for his birth. Please, do not agree to disagree on this point. Come talk to me after the service. Let's work it out. Because here's, what's hap- here's what happens when you agree to disagree. You get people, especially professing Christians, who either come like this or they slide into this and they claim that Jesus came to give us good moral teaching. Or he came to give us health. Or He came to give us popularity or he came to give us material abundance. When you meet those people, 
be kind and be gracious, but don't back down. Take them right here to the book of Luke. Show them what you have learned. Or when Mormons knock on your door, and they will, invite them in. If, if you're freaked out, call me up. I'll come over. Seriously. Get to know them. Ask them how they feel about the authenticity of the Bible. Don't take their first answer. Show them the thousands of historical documents verifying Jesus' birth and the authenticity of the Bible. Show them passages in Isaiah that point right here to Luke. Then, in love, contrast that for them with Joseph Smith by himself in a cave. Now, Mormons are a slippery bunch. But be confident. Your job is to be a faithful witness. Your job is not to save them. Application number three, final one, joyfully share. Let's end with joyful outreach as Luke does. I've kind of been a bit introspective and a bit debate-ish. But lastly, let's consider the shepherds. Just think about them. When they understood the event and the reason for Jesus' birth, their immediate response was to joyfully share the news with people. What about you? Do you, like me, often assume that people are tired of hearing the gospel? They know it. They just don't like it. They don't want to hear it. I invite you to consider this possibility, especially because it's not Christmas yet, so they won't be expecting it. Maybe people are not tired of hearing the gospel. Maybe they're tired of hearing the wrong gospel. You have good news of great joy. Finally, quick word, if you're not convinced of Jesus' birth and why he was born, please keep seeking. But I hope I persuaded you that the evidence for both his birth and why he was born are true and they are inseparable. You need salvation. And God's plan of salvation for the world has arrived in Jesus. Let's pray together. God, it's so easy to read these verses and to check out. Think about the season. To think about goodwill from man to man. But Lord, the goodwill we read about was exclusively yours. You came. You sent Jesus. You sent him as a baby. And you sent him to save us. Lord, would you help that to motivate us to share good news? Would you help that to lift us up when we are struggling in a dark world? Thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation. Amen.